the most expected sweep in the history of baseball. Perhaps the Marlins swept on the road in L.A. Sandy Alcantara struggles on the road in L.A. Tell me if you've heard that story before. We're going to dig into all of the action against the Dodgers. Plus, week two of Sean's stats on today's Locked On Marlins. You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings from England and welcome to Monday's edition episode of Locked On Marlins. I'm your host, Peter Pratt. It's Miami Marlins underscore UK. Don't forget the underscore. No TikToks, no Instas. Subscribe to the pod, subscribe to the YouTube channel. It's the Monday episode. And of course, the UK GOAT is in the house. Sean Barrett, how are we doing, brother? I'm doing well, Pete. These uh, weekend uh, sweeps aren't doing me any good, especially with Sandy. Poor start as well. Maybe his worst one in many years. So a rough weekend for baseball, but I'm doing well regardless. Good man. As a fellow UK fan, how difficult is it to consume West Coast baseball? It's nigh on impossible, isn't it? <laughs> it it's is. difficult. Um, I know there are some UK baseball fans that follow West Coast teams and they are insane. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how they do it. It's, it's, it's a mental approach to watching sports, but, you know, they do well with it. It is. You know it's tough, mate, because all I get is my East Coast crew. Uh, shout out to the East Coast crew tuning in. Uh, most of the people listen to the show are on, on the East Coast, and they're complaining about West Coast baseball. So imagine us. Five hours, five hours ahead of you guys. So it's tough. West Coast is tough, and it continues. We're in into Oakland now for for a three gamer as well. But let's start with with the Dodger series, mate. And we'll follow the same pathway now. We're gonna find. We're into our groove now with these Monday episodes. We're gonna kind of look back and give our main takeaway or takeaways from the from the the weekend series. And then we'll get into some Sean's stats. Uh, I know you've got a good amount of those queued up as well. So I thought it was it was a lot of fun uh, last week getting into that. It's going to be a regular segment now. I really enjoy doing that. So, Sean, let's kick things off. Main takeaways from this Dodger series. And I'll let you take that. Then I'll kind of bring us up to speed with some of the things that happened too, like in terms of the roster moves, because there was a lot of them that were going on. So that's the kind of backdrop here. But I'll throw it to you, and then we'll go from there. I mean, as far as the Dodgers, I mean, they're the best team in baseball, arguably. I mean, they are mm. a completely different watching experience from watching the Marlins. And uh, I want to try and look at some of the stats behind, you know, how good they are. Because, I mean, they roughed up Sandy pretty handedly. And it was it was just a conveyor belt of hitting again and again and again. It just there seemed to be no weak spots there. And one of the stats that did shine out to me, or two of the stats that shined out to me, was that they have the lowest O-swing percentage in the league. So they're not swinging at, at pitches outside of the zone. You know, the Marlins, you know, they're fourth worst in the league. So... Mm-hmm. Polar. Low and away, low and away for the Marlins. Yeah, perhaps? exactly. Polar opposites for for two teams. Yeah. And also, the Dodgers have the high, highest hard hit percentage in the league. So, you know, they're, they're, when they are making contact with swings in the zone, they are making hard contact, and and that's kind of what we saw for the whole of the series was just a team that were a professional baseball team. You know, a real good unit of, of 
consistently good at bats and it's just something as a Marlins fan we're just not used to seeing um, specifically from our team anyway um, mm. so it was a real litmus test of this is this is what a championship team looks like and, and yeah. it's a shame because you can almost look at it and go this is how far away the Marlins are offensively to getting to that position uh, that is correct that is you know was my I had multiple takeaways from this series albeit I didn't watch any of the action from Game 1 or Game 2 live at all. So we've got to call that a little bit on replay. But um, So I haven't had as much eyeballs on this series for the obvious time zone problems we face. Nevertheless, I do have some takeaways. And the first one is just the sheer difference. The sheer difference in the Dodgers and the Marlins offensively. I mean, for obvious reasons, the Dodgers have, you know, they've built their club. They've made some great trades. They've, they're paying the dough like then their strategy is completely different to the Marlins. We know that. And right now they are one of, if not the best teams in, in baseball. So the Marlins are absolutely on the opposite end of that spectrum this season. But boy, oh boy, it just looks so different, doesn't it, mate? It looks so different offensively that, you know, when you were here in the pod with, with swings and misses, you know, Dan Greenlee, hey, we like our club. We've built it to, you know, to be what we think is could be good and da-da-da. And and then you look at the Dodgers and go, <laughs> this is not even, you know, if the Dodgers were in the Premier League in football terms, the Marlins look like they're in, you know, League One. Like, they look a few divisions away from, from the, the standard and there's no relegation in baseball. So... Everyone's in it, no relegations, but you know, if, if there were relegation, the Marlins would have been long relegated and probably would have never been promoted to the Premier League ever again, perhaps. Anyway, going off on a tangent, I agree with yours, Sean. Two other ones for me. I want to start with the Dodgers player. I'd never heard of him before the series, but they some for some reason had this guy in center field that I'd never heard of that had like an 800 OPS and had a, an elite glove that pretty much won him a game in game one. Tracy Thompson. Is that right? Trace Thompson? I'd never heard of him. And I look back, oh, who is this dude? How do the how do the Dodgers send a bit of cash over to Detroit to get this dude, plug him in? Because they've got a whole the Marlins have cycled all these dudes all year round in center field. And it's just so wild that teams and clubs, different clubs, different outlooks, different scouts, everything. And actually, what we have to say as well, different situations like. Being in the Dodgers lineup is completely different to being in the Marlins lineup. And I think like an Avisel Garcia could testify to that this year. Like when you're just one of the dudes, it's all good. And everyone's hitting around you, all good. Momentum, hitting, hitting's contagious, right? But striking out, I think for the Marlins also is contagious. And I think Avisel's kind of felt that. But you put this dude in, you know, 800 OPS in like, you know, 150 at-bats or whatever. I was like, oh my days, you know, this is so Painful. Same game, game one. Not that I haven't talked about Sandia. Game one. Actually, no. To set the context of this, we need to talk about game two and game three in the series. Sandy completely blown up. Game two, Brian Hoeing. Okay, tough assignment. I mean, he was jetted across. It was kind of Lewin Diaz style. Jetted across, said, drink five coffees and get out there. At least he got out there. Lewin Diaz didn't even on that time. But he was blown up, unsurprisingly. Who wasn't blown up? Jesus Lozado, absolutely stunning outing for Jesus Lozado on game one. It was, you know, the Marlins somehow managed to lose the game in the end, but, you know, Jesus, 
6.1 innings, one earned run, two walks, seven Ks against that Dodgers lineup. It's sensational. Truly sensational. I think it was probably his best performance. And he's had other performances where he had more Ks and all this kind of stuff. But against that Dodgers lineup that blew up the other two, like easily blew them up as well. Stunning out in. So Jesus Lozado, the real deal. Something for the Marlins to build on. However, he's been hurt for most of the year. This is the problem. Sean, anything, final news and I would just say about Trace Thompson. I mean, he's yeah, he's got some good stats out there, but it's a small sample size. His BABIP's nearly 400. <laughs> of course. It's, it is a case of, you know... I'm gonna get, but hold on a minute, mate. I'm going to get you a T-shirt at some point that says it's a small sample size. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, small sample size, low BABIP. Um, he's having a nice season. And as you said, in that lineup, it is a case of... He might be the only, he's a bench back, let's call that out. He might mm. be the only relief that you get, and by then you're frazzled anyway, so you're mm. probably still just pumping meatballs down the middle. So, um, you know, fair play to him. He's getting an opportunity late in life, and, and he's taking it with both hands, and that's all you can ask for from a player. No doubt about it. We can't not talk about Sandy Alcantara, mate, um, because it was a it was a big test for him. We all knew the history. He's been blown up in Dodger Stadium, Stadium multiple times historically. Last year was the worst of them. He's in the Cy Young. He, you know, he's leading the race right now in everyone's eyes, in my opinion. He's a good couple of war ahead of any other pitcher knocking around. So he's significantly better. He rolls into Dodger Stadium, and you just want him to go six innings, one earned, you know, 95 pitches, get out of there unscathed. That cements it. So, the start itself, what was your main takeaways from the actual start? Then we'll talk about the impact in terms of the Cy Young race. I mean, it was it was just it was a bad performance, wasn't it? It was two in the zone, but he's a con- he's a pitched contact pitcher, so you kind of expect that anyway, but you know, as I said, with this lineup they they do hit well inside the zone. So that's what they're getting from him, you know, the the ground balls mm. weren't quite there. Um you could say that they were, you know, the, the babbit was high, so maybe they were just getting lucky with some of those hits, but ultimately, watching the game, and that's the only game I did watch live this weekend, it, it did, look like, every inning just kept, it was labouring, I think it was 23, 24 pitches in the first inning, I think every single inning he had more pitches than his, his you know, average across the year, yeah. so it was a case of, it was just a laboured performance, I don't think there's anything to write home about as far as expecting it to continue, he's got another tough assignment um, coming up next time round in mm-hmm. the rotation, so, um, and I think it might even be another one after that. I think I looked at. I think there's nothing to too much to take away from the start itself, as far as looking at him. You know what he. You know we know what Sandy is. Um, the 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 Cy Young question is certainly a question to be had now because I think I heard it described as he he hasn't lost top spot, but he's lost the absolute lock of top spot. You know, going into this start, it was a case of it was his job to lose. Mm. And this kind of rattles that cage a little bit. I think some guys are, are continuing to perform well. It's just one start. Let's see what happens. Chet Sandy, as, as unoften as bad starts are for Sandy, he tends to come back and have an absolute pearl at the next time round. So that's what I'm hoping we see next time out. He absolutely does. And we know you've already teased it out. We know it's a tough assignment. It's at home. So there is that, but it's against the Los Angeles Dodgers. So 
Straight back to it. Straight back to it for the Dodgers. What I liked as well from the Dodgers too, Sunday Sunday lineup against Sandy, no one rested. Full strength of the Dodgers. They were just look, look, looking to pommel Sandy, pommel the Marlins, get this sweep, just keep their season rolling. Absolutely love that approach. Just bring the pain. Why not? Brought it. Big start out. This is this is why next time around is Saturday he goes, in all likelihood. Massive start now for Sandy. What happens if the same happens again? And Tony, Tony Gonsolin by this point is like 1.816 and 1. I mean, he's, you know, thrown 45, 50 innings less than Sandy Alcantara. But, I mean... If Sandy gets blown up again, is is ERA's 2.32 and, you know, a couple of clunkers against the Dodgers in a row? But you here for Sandy? I mean, it's, it's a discussion point, isn't it? It is that case of... <laughs> and and wouldn't, wouldn't it be ironic that the team that end his run mm. towards the Cy Young are a team that have their own Cy Young candidates as well? I, know. I mean, that's maybe a motivation for them to keep throwing just, out that line. At him. I hadn't even thought about that, mate. But as you said that, I mean, why wouldn't they? You know, they're all in the clubhouse. They're all in it together. You know, Tony Gonsolin or whoever to win the Cy as well. Like, they want to clean up. So the guys are there going, listen, big Tony G, we're going to do it for you. We're going to light up Sandy. Why not? So that's a really good point. Having played in sporting situations before team sports and there's player awards on the line, um, it... People know it. You feel it. You talk it. You want it to happen. You want your teammate to do well. So, you know, I think that's a really, really interesting point that you've just made there, that the Dodgers line up. There's some extra juice for them. They want to blow them up too. Big moment. Sandy's still the favorite. If You know, if war is good for anything, you go and search pitches by war, and he's literally too clear of anyone else. Um, I, I'm not sure how I'd feel, or maybe how anyone would feel, in 10 years, 10, I don't know, whatever time period it is, if you opened up the, the history books and look back, 2022, NL, Cy Young, Tony Gonsolin. I'm not sure what that says about baseball, pitchers in general. Like, Tony Gonsolin, come on! We are, we're just, it's not happening. I'm not having it. I'm not having Tony Gonsolin. Not a chance. I don't care he's won 15 games and his ERA's whatever. It doesn't matter. The eyeballs... Say to me, he's bang average. Bang average. So, not anyway, let's get the ad done and let's get into these stats, mate. Hopefully, there's no Tony Gonsolin stats and hopefully he's not listening either. Um, but, guys, it's Monday and our good, good friends at Bet Online, baby. BetOnline.net. It's the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your betting needs. You can find all your favorite sports and events, number one online source for odds, lines, and games. You can find reviews and news of every league. That includes Major League Baseball, of course, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, eSports, and even golf. Did anyone have any money on the boxing over the weekend? That Anthony Joshua fight, boy, oh boy, that was fun. And the post-game, the post-fight was even more, more interesting. Anthony Joshua just throwing the belts at the ring. And I've just dropped a spoiler, but fun fight nevertheless. Anyway, bet online. They continue to be the top online resource for all your sports wagering information. They've got live in betting, in game betting, sorry, scores and podcasts. They have you covered. You can head to bet online today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action happening today, right now, this week. Bet online where the game starts. Here we go then, Sean. Sean's stats. 
week two. Um, I'm going to hand you the mic and tease out your first one. What have you got for me? Uh, so firstly, um, Richard Blyer. We know. Oh, oh, I still believe in Dick. I still do. Me and you love a bit of uh, Big Dick, don't we? Um, <laughs> he's pitched a lot better over the last couple of months. Uh, over the July onwards, 17.2 innings, just given up three earned runs. Um, and the one thing that's been massive for him is that ground ball percentage. You know, he is an extreme ground baller. Mm. Um, and I remember you calling that out, and that's kind of what got my attention earlier in the season. We've got a ground ball pitcher not giving up ground balls. There were fly balls left, right, and centre. Mm. The fly ball rate was super inflated, like 45%. That's come down month after month, um, but he's still been getting hit hard. The last couple of months have been really different in the sense that he's got the, the ground ball working, but he's also given up very little hard hit contact. He's given up one barrel, which is basically you know that sweet spot where you yeah. want the exit velocity and the launch angle. His launch angle is insanely small as well over those two months. The, the, the whip's a little bit high. He's still given up quite a few hits. He's getting a little bit lucky here and there with left on base and Babbitt. But essentially what my point is, is we are seeing the Richard Blyer that earned himself an extension. And I feel like we can go into next year. If he continues pitching the way he's pitching, we can go into next season hoping, you know, feeling good about that contract rather than saying, as we were a couple of months ago, Here's an albatross of a contract. It's only a couple of million here or there, but for yeah. a Marlins reliever, that's a lot of money to give up. Second one, and it's uh, a guy we've already mentioned, is Lazardo. Since his return, he's had four starts. He's absolutely on fire. So 23.1 innings, he's given up seven earned runs for a 2.70 ERA, a sub one whip, um, a 9K per nine, a below two walk per nine a super magic 4.8 walk to K rate, or K to walk rate, which is very, very high. Um, it's not quite DeGrom era, because DeGrom's numbers are just absolutely insane. But he's pitched really well, and I wanted to look into it, because normally I just look into it and go, oh, it's BABIP, or it's left on base percentage. There's some luck involved. But actually, there's a tonal difference between the starts to begin the season and the last starts since his return. So there's been a pitching change. So he's gone from using his change up 15% of the time before the injury now mm. to 32% of the time. Mm. Usage is massive, um, especially when it's his best pitch. When you look at weighted on base averages, it's his best pitch. He stopped throwing his four seam so much, halved it from 30 to 15, and increased the use of his sinker, which is not quite as good as his change up. It is better than his four seamer. And he's also using his curveball. A little bit less, which is a little bit weird, but I think it is a case of he has changed the way he's pitching. He's using the better pitches he's got. And we talk all the time about Mal Stottermeyer and how good he is at mm. getting guys to use their changeup, improve their changeup. He's now using it twice as much as he did before his injury. And that is, in my opinion, the main difference between the lack of success he is having at the beginning of the season and the, the whirlwind of talent that we see right now. Marlins pitchers with elite change-ups, a story as old as time. It's funny that it's taken it this long, to be honest with you, with Lozado. But finally, you know, the, the change-up comes. It's the key. Let's look back to Trevor Rogers last year. His change-up was absolutely elite. I'm saying that without any numbers backing it up. But I think back to last year, it was the fastball, working off the fastball for Trevor. I, I don't know why I'm talking about Trevor now, but I, I do want to actually mention him. But 
Fastball, insane changeup. That was the combo. Few other bits in there. Lozardo feels like it's a similar pat- you know, pattern. He's got a few more pitches than Trevor does. But, I mean, we have to call this out. Whatever you can say about the, the Marte trade, the, the trade itself was a very good trade because Lozardo, a former, what, top 20 overall prospect, let's say, had some struggles in Oakland. Okay, but – and actually had some struggles in Miami. What I would say is go listen to the the, the Jeremy Taché um, mic'd up Miami uh, episode with Lozardo from last week as well. Really nice episode with Jeremy Taché, of course, bringing the heat. Lozardo was great in that too. And Mel just saying to him, it's funny, you know, when, when they say, what's the – What's Mel said to you? What's changed? You know, what's the magic spell? He's just saying, believe in yourself. Believe in your stuff. It's as simple as that. And it's always, it's a mental. Sometimes you're lost in your own head trying to do too much. Get out there and throw your best, best pitches. Good chance they're going to work. <laughs> so absolutely love that from Lozado. He has been great. And, and like I said, this weekend in particular, because you got the two guys blown up around him and he goes out there and twirls another gem. And he's just thrown gem after gem, it seems, since he's been back, which is great. For me, Lozado, you can kind of lock him in, what, you know, number two, three in the rotation. Depends where they want to, you know, throw the lefty, I guess. So it's been a real nice ascension for him for the Marlins, though, right? Absolutely. And as you said, he could be a number two and he could potentially be the Marlins number two next year. Yeah. But what they did with Pablo and obviously coming into the season, we expected more from Rodgers and he struggled. So, yeah, no, the Marlins could genuinely be looking at him as as a number two next year. And, and as current results right now, you know, I trust him implicitly. The, the question then is, like, based on, you know, based on Pablo's control, which is two years, based on his injury history, based on Lozado's results, if he continues to, you know, have these kind of results the next, you know, four or five starts, whatever it is, um, and his control... Is Lozado actually more value than, valuable than Pablo? Like overall, as a as a you know the trade calculator, but you know the multiple years of control, lefty, you know if he shows himself to be a legit what two three uh, at the major league level with many more years of control than Pablo, I mean it's very interesting. However, with Trevor Rogers' demise, I, I think you know, the Marlins have got to be really careful about moving lefties too. So you know I still, but overall. We're getting to a point where Lozado has a similar trade value to Pablo Lopez, perhaps. What do you think? I think he's probably that he's where Pablo was a couple of years ago. Yeah, it's a good point. Seen, still not seen Lozado go over 100 innings in a year. Um, and so I think there's still that case. But yeah, you, you're right to point out the lefty. You know, having a talented lefty like he is is, is a massive thing for a team. Um, and I think, yeah, as you said, with the control and with his age, I think realistically the Marlins would do well to keep him for the next couple of years and, and develop him and see to where he becomes. I mean, Pablo has stepped on and, and gone on to more innings, but we're seeing now the last couple of starts where he's starting to slow down a little bit and the arm might be tiring a bit more. Yeah. Um, I'm really worried about the, the, the end of this season, what his numbers are going to look like if he continues to struggle, mm-hmm. uh, especially if you want him to be that trade asset into the off-season. I think maybe the Marlins might have missed a trick not trading him. But, uh, uh, you know, it depends on what the value there was for. I mean, if, if teams are putting that in there, calculated into that risk and saying, we're not going to offer you these top guys, then you can't trade them for nothing. But no. I think this second half for him, or the, the final part of the season for him, is going to be huge as far as what the Marlins can hope to retrieve from him in a trade. Agreed. 
It's a really tough stretch for all these Marlins pitchers in, in all different ways. Um, legitimate major league dude. Sandy's going for the side. Pablo's trying to prove his health. Lazardo's trying to prove that he's got the longevity too. You've then got um, Eddie Cabrera trying to solidify himself as a potential starter and stay healthy. You've then got a few other guys floating around trying to just see that they can pitch and stick at this level. Brian Hoeing was being the latest. Obviously, there's a lot going on. The problem the Marlins have, and if I was a pitcher, the problem you face here is like the offense is dead, the team's dead. It's hard to feel the juice on a daily basis. Like if the team is lacking juice, which it is clearly like, you know, they're going through the motions now. It's a long old season and, you know, there's you kind of just grew through a few games or through a week or through a series and it's, it must be hard mentally, mentally for the guys where you, you know there's no juice. You go to your home ballpark, no fans, no one's bothered. You know, people have given up. So it's a real mental test for these guys. But there's so much on the line for all of them, which is really, really intriguing. Um, I want to come back to Blyer because I wanted to just briefly talk about another lefty that I don't think we'll see for the rest of this year now. Braxton Garrett going on to the IL. Um... The 15 day, so not the 60 or anything, but with an oblique strain, which says to me that's probably season over in the fact that he's, well, it's two weeks on the IL, then you're in rehab, then you're working yourself back, blah, blah, blah. Like obliques and pitchers to me doesn't sound that likely. So I'm going to say Braxton, we don't see him again this year. But overall, Braxton Garrett, one of the biggest and nicest surprises in 2022, right? Absolutely. No, he pitched. He pitched fantastically. You know, we've had seasons where we've needed these guys to come up and throw quality innings. I'm thinking about last year when we had that free ace situation, um, and he's yeah. Eric came in and and yeah, he's pitched really, really well. Um, the numbers, you know, look good. The K per nine are good. The walk per nine are good. You know, there's no real luck there as well. The ERA and the FIP look very similar. So it is a case of he's in those limited games, 13 starts. He's pitched really well for the Marlins. Um, thankfully, it's just an oblique. You know, there's no arm injury there. There's nothing that's going to roll into next season. Main concern is he didn't quite get to 100 innings this year. So mm. next year, in a fully healthy year, are we going to see 125, 150, maybe? But he'll come back, you know, either late September, but why rush him? Or next year, genuinely going out there trying to earn a rotation spot, I think. You know, I think he's done everything he needed to do this year to, to, to give himself that opportunity next year. Yeah, there's. I mean, there's going to be so many arms battling out for for this back of the back end of the rotation. You know, Braxton Garrett's in the mix. I mean, who knows where Eliezer's at, for example? Like he'll be thinking about it. Trevor Rogers again. I want to talk about Trevor in a sec. Cabrera, Eder will be back, and you know, a little bit maybe further away, let's say, but. You know, there's just a ton of guys knocking around looking for that kind of three, four, sorry, four or five spots. And, you know, Brax has done everything right. You know, when I looked at his game logs at one point, you know, we, he did have a real nice stretch of like the, the actual teams he faced where there was a nice run where it was like the Nats, Rockies, couple of Pirates, couple of Reds, um, Phillies. But, you know, he finished strong against the Braves. Um, you know, so I think he's had a great year. Better than we expected going into the year. I, I thought we all thought, okay, Braxton, he could be on the forty-man crunch. Like he could be one of them dudes that we we just never we never see again at this level. But 
he's really kicked on and you know the slider just plays like it's just nasty and so it's just you know can you can you piece all the other bits together to make that slider you know really dangerous which i think he can so nice year another guy that came up over the weekend Heyran and Canacion back up in the mix which finally he's got another chance he actually had the RBI on uh, on the first game as well so kind of came into the game um you know you know hit there and an RBI which is nice to see I've been really puzzled about Encarnacion generally. Um, you know, clearly in this year, I was surprised that maybe he didn't even get the jump over Burdick, to be honest with you. But clearly the Marlins must favor Burdick over Encarnacion. I'm intrigued to see the way the things play out in the next couple of weeks. Obviously, Coop's on the, the seven-day IL, the concussion IL. So he, I guess, could come back really anytime soon. Maybe Encarnacion sent back down, but... How do you see them playing this with with Encarnacion? Is it is it likely to just be when Coop's back, he's back down, and you know that's that's it, or is it maybe going to be a longer look at him? Do you think? I suppose it depends really on, on health. You know, is that case of it's okay saying Coop comes back, but we've got to keep everyone else healthy. We always expect, or oh, what's the worst to crunch when this guy comes back, and then when it actually gets round to that, there's another guy that's already gone down. And it's not that big of an issue. I think sure. he had a really good year in the minors. You know, he's. It, it reminds me a little bit of the um, Isan Diaz a few years ago, where it was a case of he's done everything he needs to do at, at the AAA level. Yeah. Now he needs to prove himself at the at the, the major league level. Isan obviously never ended up doing that, but mm. it is a case of he's done what he needs to do in the minor leagues. There's no point having him down there anymore. We're at a point now where you know he's out. The options are you know I think they're running out, or I think he needs to be on the forty man. Um, to stay out of the rule five, you know, it is that case of he's a little bit older. He, he took a little bit of time because defensively there was always that question of what is he? Is he a first baseman? Is he a corner outfield? Mm. Is that good enough to sit him in DH? I, I don't know. Not when you've got Coop there. Um, can they cycle around? Of course they could, but I think he does need to show a little bit. But again, it's it's too late. It, we're, we're getting to the point now where. You know, like you just said, the season's lost and, and the motivation for the players sometimes can be difficult, um, especially for positional players that are playing each and every day and the travel and everything like that. Um, but, you know, he's got an opportunity. He needs to take it. Um, I think the talent is there. Um, but it is that case of we're going to go into next season going, what you know, who are these outfielders do we trust? Um, and they'd have to go on a scorching hot run right now to, to prove anything that is substantial for us going into next year, but he's up, you know, and, and let's see what he does with it. Who who actually, right now, we've got all these guys that are kind of up and bouncing around and, and whatever. You as a fan, a UK fan, struggling through these games at times, like myself, who's getting you excited? Offensively, who are the guys you're looking to now that you're thinking, I'm excited to see what this, what this at-bat's going to look like and what's going to happen? I suppose in my mind it's Blade because mm. I got that heritage of being that first round pick. Yeah, I first round pick, and we're us being promised that this guy's got a you know an elite approach. He's going to go through the the minors quickly, and we're going to see him perform at the major league level soon. Um, never really quite panned out for one reason or another, but I think the main reason I'd, I've got interest in him is because of that pedigree, but also because of that centre field bat, like. He has he has the most flexibility as far as you know. If he can just be a, a hundred WRC plus player at centre field, we'll take that. At yeah. this, that's kind of where we are with the, the Marlins and, and bringing up hitting prospects. 
that that is the the ceiling that we would we would appreciate. Obviously, yeah. draft a guy, you know, is fourth overall. You expect far more. You you expect a star. You expect a player that you're extending for a ten year deal as soon as you bring him up. Mm-hmm. But we're not there as a, as an organization. Um, but I think Bladé is probably that guy. I mean, hey, well, he's got that pop, hasn't he? So that's always exciting. If he runs into one, he's going to run into one. Yeah. Uh, so that's a bit of excitement, but it is tough. It always is tough in August and September. Um, I've had nearly 20 years of it, so I'm used to it. But mm-hmm. it, it gets tough this part of the season, and, and um, you know we've got to try and get some of the small mercies that we can get from time to time. Yeah, no doubt. One of those uh, on yesterday's game, Lewin Diaz, massive bomb. I say massive bomb, slightly overstating it. But anyway, deep left center from Lewin Diaz. Uh, I think Bladé went in exactly the same spot. So the Marlins liked that kind of area uh, yesterday, which is nice to see. Lewin Diaz, he's getting, you know, some more action, which is good to see. I think yesterday was his first home run for the major league level, I think, this year, right? Of that. So it's been a real struggle for him. Um, since he's been you know, recalled and you know, giving definitely more playing time. It was definitely a little bit spurious how they were using him and his, his Aguilar still around, his coop and whatever. And you know, But Lewin, the clock is really ticking. Like the Marlins need, they need to see something from Lewin these next few weeks. Like they really need to see something from Lewin where they can be confident that he can do it. Maybe... They'll even, nevertheless, they'd still be in that position where they'd be like, hey, we'll just take him as a, a bench bat. And, you know, we know the glove's fine and someone will need to cycle around first base anyway. So he may be, but I think the Marlins are hoping or expecting for something more. I'm not convinced that they truly believe in him. I think they're going to move on in some sort of different direction at some stage. But where's your head at now with Lewin Diaz? I mean, that was probably a career day for him, wasn't it? I mean, it was the double two. He had the double earlier in the game, and that was a, that was a nice at bat. Actually, I, I enjoyed that. Flashed mm. glove at, at once or twice, I think, if I recall. Mm. Uh, you know, so 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 far, yes, a career day needs more of them for sure. We know the glove works, but that flexibility of just being a glove first first baseman—it's not the same as being a glove first shortstop, is it? You know, you're still tying your hands with a no. uh, setup, especially now. Um, when you want to carry 13 pitches, you've only got those, you know, four bench bats. A bench first baseman only is, is always a difficult, especially if the bat's not elite, is always a question mark. But he had a good game. I mean, some of the numbers you look at, the K rate's only 25%. Only is is, mm-hmm. is high, but yeah. <laughs> this is the Marlins. It's, it's not that high. The Babbitt's low, so he's been unlucky. But yeah. it, he's, case- he's shifted heavily, isn't he? Like, when, when I think of a Lewin Diaz out, it's often... Heavy shift, way past the first base bag. The guy almost in in right field, fielding balls to Lewin Diaz. Like he's really being hurt with that kind of that the overshift there for sure. And, and this is the last year with the shift. I know there's, there's discussion points of moving that shift. I mean, will that be too late for him potentially? <laughs> but it is that case of you know he's a guy you know as a lefty that struggles with that with that shift. Um, and as a result, yeah, if, you, if you're going to be pull happy as a lefty, then you're always going to be Babbitt hit. But, you know, I think he's got that pop. I think he's got that ability. The glove's there. He'll he'll have a major league career mm-hmm. uh, for the rest, of, for, you know, the rest of his career because that glove's there. And, and I think he just needs to slowly but surely get better with that bat. No doubt. Bold prediction time from me. Monday, the 22nd of August. Um, I'm putting it out there on the record right now. Lewin Diaz in 2023 is the Pirates representative 
as the all-star. That's what I'm saying. He's a pirate all-star in 23, mainly because Brian Reynolds isn't there anymore um, because he may be somewhere else. But I'm going to say Lehman Diaz makes the all-star roster as a pirate in 23. There you go. Um, and this is this is the funny thing, Sean. We're talking about can we have a glove first first baseman? It's lunacy. You can't, you know, this is so silly, right? The Marlins need so much production there. To your point, you know, even even Miggy Rowe at shortstop, you know, we're looking around going, you can't even have a glove first shortstop anymore. Like, you just can't. These teams, you know, the Dodgers doing what they're doing, the Braves doing what they're doing, the Mets doing what they're doing. They've got no glove first shortstops. They've just got absolute studs in that spot. And the same at first base. <laughs> it's insane. So, you know, the Marlins are so far away from these clubs right now. There's so much to do. And it gets a bit disheartening as a fan, really, when you've got the front office in disarray where Jeter's gone, Dembo's gone, um, others are going, I guess. Donnie's probably going to be gone. The roster, the, the offense has been historically bad. The pitching staff, full of arms on paper, but most of them on the IL for long periods. And that's the problem with the pitching first approach, in my opinion. If you can load up on pitches all you want, most of them are going to spend long periods on the IL for whatever reason. We've seen that with Sixto. He's two years down. Eder's down. Max Meyer's down. Cabrera's missed tons of time. Um, Braxton Garrett's just gone to the IL now. You know, it just goes on and on and on and on. Um, and the problem is, you then try to flip them for bats. Well, the problem is, you know, the health knock will then remain. You, teams aren't going to give you their stud hitters to play every day for a coin flip. Is he healthy? Is he not? Maybe he can pitch 100 innings or not. That's just not going to. It's not going to swing it. And that's the problem the Marlins are facing is too many pitchers getting hurt. Pitchers get hurt in general, but it's a tough one. It's a tough strategy. And for us as fans, you know, it's it's hard to understand where we're at right now, to be honest with you, um, in general. Like, I don't know the structure. I don't know. It's funny. I've already recorded. I've already recorded Tuesday's episode. And one of the points that came up from that was, who do I even complain to? I don't even know who I can shout at anymore. So, you know, it's that kind of vibe. But anyway, Sean, last final piece is we've got a, th a series against the A's now, mate. So, you know, two minutes, quick rundown from you. What are you hoping or expecting from this from a Marlins perspective? Hoping for? Um, I guess it is that case of you, you hope that we have these, you know, offensive flourishes from guys like, Leighton Diaz and Bleday and Burdick and, and you know those guys that we're hoping to see something from um, I, I keep beating down the idea of we're not going to see enough to know what we've got next year but I'd rather have a guy hitting you know 260, 270 with a couple of home runs rather than hitting below the Mendoza line like they are at the moment to have a little bit of faith that we know what we, you know it is that case of they can't hit enough to prove that they deserve a spot in the lineup next year, but mm. they certainly hit low enough to prove that they don't. Um, so I think there is that balancing act of hoping to get some offense. And it is a case at this point, it's highlights, isn't it? That's the only thing you can really hope for is just some, some highlights to get us excited, a reason to watch the games um, specifically live and specifically when they're West coast. Um, it is a case of these, these are the dog days of summer Um uh, but baseball will be over in a couple of months mm. and I will miss it when it's gone. So as bad as it is at the moment, it is a case of I will continue to watch avidly because when it's gone, I will miss it. Me too. Completely agree on that. We should embrace 
the small wins, the game within the game. I think I put it today on Twitter. Like we're, we're into that where if they score less than four runs, it is what it is. And but if two of those came from a two-run homer from Lewin, and then another one from a Blade homer, and Eddie Cabrera pitches a gem or Lozado pitches a gem, they're small wins. They're games within the game. Who is going to be part of this organization in 2023? They're the questions we're trying to ask and answer right now, and they are not easy to answer. With that being said, that's Monday's episode of Locked on Marlins in the books. 40 minutes of fire from the UK Goats, of course. Sean Barrett, as always on a Monday. Me, Peter Pratt. I am back tomorrow. Brendan Tobin is in the house uh, for Tuesday's episode, so stay tuned for that one. We'll see if there's any victory Slim Jims being cracked uh, after game one against the Oakland A's. Back tomorrow, guys.